Fast forward just four years. State surveillance is everywhere in Aotearoa, and if you dare to search for evidence of government corruption, you could end up on the rumoured kill list. That's a premise for Tina Klaus' new thriller, The Shadow Broker. When Minnie finds a burner phone and starts to read suspicious coded messages, she turns to her friend Rumpel to help her make sense of them. Christine Sesford reads from The Shadow Broker. She gets her notebook out and shows him the page where she's jotted down acronyms and abbreviations. Does this suggest something to you? Does it what? People hiding behind made-up names and those initials. This is about politics and money, a nasty mixture, not to mention threats from higher up, whatever the hell that means. When you seemed so worried about someone tracking down the phone, I thought you were being paranoid, but you were right. We'd better discuss where to next. Let's park it up for a day while you think about it. I want to sort out some of these acronyms and abbreviations. There are so many, and they are such a mixture of things, official ones and others that look more like personal shorthand, like some kind of private text speak. This could be dynamite, Petal. I mean, who is this guy who owns the phone? And that talk about someone higher up, a threat if ever I heard one. Once again, a current of unease runs through her. I know, I can't believe how fast things have changed, she says, feeling sad and angry at the same time. Remember how we used to pride ourselves on being a good democracy, and we thought those things that happened in other countries would never spread to us, before Trump and Putin and the mega-rich who seemed to sit outside the law. And now we too have a government full of rich people, busy making themselves richer, and all these draconian laws. I don't want to be accused of being subversive and end up on the watch list. Or the kill list. And Tina Clough joins us now. Kia ora, Tina. Hi, Lynn. This is such a complex, layered story. I can't do justice to it in two sentences trying to describe <laughs> what happens. So can I start with a fuller outline of the story of the Shadow Broker, please? Well, what I was thinking when I started writing it was that We're at a stage now where a whole lot of things have gradually become accepted and we regard them as normal. You know, facial recognition, CCTV cameras, smart devices that can track our movements, all those sort of things. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to kind of take it one step further. So I've chosen 2026 and created a more dystopian near future, but without going too far, keeping it credible, kind of extrapolating the current scene in a dark direction where government has an eye on everyone and privacy is really a thing of the past. Let's talk more about your core characters. Minnie, I mentioned, she's got so much going on in her life without coming across this and phone that causes so, so many ructions for her. Um, but tell us about, about her first of all and her situation. Well, Minnie was a, a, a lecturer at Auckland University. Uh, she's a, a chemistry um, postgrad and she was doing research. And then her widowed father started going seriously off the track with dementia and he lived in or lives in Wellington. So she kind of reluctantly gives up her research and relocates to live with him and to look after him and takes a job as a science teacher in high school. And this is how it starts. She goes out somewhere with some friends from from the staff room and they end up in a bistro. And a friend of hers who's there thinks she's 
misplaced her phone and says, I picked up your phone. And she takes it home because it looks just like hers. And then she turns it on and she can see that it isn't hers, that it, someone has used the same very, very simple pin to secure it. And so she gets into it, but it isn't hers. And what she finds on that phone, of course, is what starts the whole thing. So the, the person she turns to is her old friend from her first year at school, Rumble, who's a hacker. And because he's the only person she knows and totally trusts who might know how to, what, how to deal with what she has found on this phone. Now, he is more cautious than her. I mean, they're both cautious. They're very aware of what this could mean as they start to decode uh, the messages. But he, he's really anxious, isn't he? He's, he's very aware of the risk they're taking and the danger they're involving themselves in. She is cautious, but she doesn't know as much about IT and surveillance techniques and how everything you do and say and text can be tracked. Literally everything apart from spoken conversations over a phone can be tracked without your knowledge. And so he is kind of reluctant to dig deep into this immediately because he feels that they could easily go a step too far and come to the notice of the government. And with the new laws about what the government can do in the, veil of, in the way of surveillance, he knows that that could be a total disaster. Yes, a, a quote from the book saying, rumours there is also a kill list after three so-called national security transgressions. Of course, thinking of that contentious three strikes and you're out legislation. Yes, reflecting that, but in a different direction in the way of contravening the new laws about national security. Yes. So given everything that she knows about the potential risks, Tina, why does Minnie persevere? I mean, she, she talks about being intensely curious, but there's more to it than that. I think it's her, her personal sense of outrage at what the country has turned out to be by small incremental steps that no one kind of noticed until it had got so far that it is too late. You know, it's already there, it's in place, you can't do anything about it. So when she discovers that not only are these laws limiting people's personal freedoms and privacy, but it also involves high level corruption. This is what she thinks she can pick up from these texts on this phone. Corruption of global business, bribing and corrupting and blackmailing government ministers and government officials to fast track their way through legislation, to have exceptions made, uh, all kinds of things, simply for profit motives. So suddenly everything becomes regulated by or, or motivated by money interests. Yes, she thinks and about that. that is, you, sorry, Tina. No, no, that, that is what I think kind of fuels her sense of outrage at what the country is coming to. There's that quote that she references in the book too. All it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. That's, that's what sits behind her actions. She's prepared to take a risk, though she, at the start she does not realise quite how much she is risking and how dangerous it's going to get. 
What can you tell us about the shadow broker, that the the book named after the shadow broker? I mean, again, with a thriller, always we we're on eggshells. Um, but just a little bit about the shadow broker, please. Well, the shadow broker is. Uh, we never meet him. We never see him. We never find out who it is. Um, and for the longest time, nobody knows even whether he's male or female, so to speak. Um, he is the middleman. He has set himself up to create the link between the global interests who want to spend money on corrupting someone to get what they want and the people they want to corrupt. So he launders the money, he facilitates the contact, so there is never any direct contact between the two kind of protagonists in this, in this corruption thing. Um, he obviously knows a lot of people in government and he knows a lot about them. And perhaps he knew to start with something very discreditable about a government minister. And he blackmailed that person into becoming corrupted. Um, perhaps he just knew that they were short of money, they were a gambler, something. They needed money. So he is, he is that sort of buffer zone that feel makes the people who are being corrupted feel safer because they are at one remove from the corruptors, the big global business interests, and possibly political interests from other countries. Um, and of course, they, on their hand, um, know that there is nothing to link them to the money that goes to these people in New Zealand. I've got to tell you, so it, was particularly, it was particularly disconcerting, Tina, reading The Shadow Broker, and all the things we've just been discussing, when you click on the news and there are stories about the, the freedom signs and you're seeing the freedom signs at protests around the country, around Aotearoa at the moment, and of course Putin also in the headlines with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I think that's one of the things that can be the most unsettling about thrillers set in the near future like, like this one, um, because it, moments like that make it feel very close and very real. Yes, there, there, is, there is a huge, I, I know this is kind of funny confluence of events just when this book is coming out, that there is a major um, demonstration, occupation outside parliament, because that also happens in the book. But the difference, I think, is that while in the book, or let's start with the current situation, they are... Um, trying to put pressure on a, a democratically elected government to do something by shortcutting processes. So they are kind of, in a way, saying, we don't like the way you run the country, even though you were elected democratically, and we want to tell you to do it differently, the small minority. Whereas in the book, the, the, the demonstrations are about a corrupt government facing up, owning up, and removing um, the sort of possibilities of this corruption continuing. It's kind of poles apart, really. Is there a warning here for your readers or a, an inherent message, Tina? I think so. I really think so. As I said, all I've done is taken what happens now legally and legitimately Facial recognitions on surveillance cameras, on police cars and P 
petrol stations, um, which most people don't realize, and number plate readers on both those systems, which again, most people don't realize that uh, most petrol stations have them and they are linked to the police. Um, the fact that if someone um, has a cell phone contract, um, you know, someone who knows enough about it can find out where they are at any given moment. So you kind of, you have this environment already that has happened in small increments over a long period of time of tech development, which has made us all trackable and traceable. And if you extrapolate that out a little bit by saying, what if we had a government who were prepared to say, we are going to say that the government can do this, we'll have a new security service, they can do that, they're allowed this kind of leeway in what they do as opposed to what they used to be. In four years, we could easily live in a society just like in the Shadow Broker. Tina Clough, thank you so much. Food for thought, there are plenty. The Shadow Broker is published by Lightpool Publishing.